for this month, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a topic that's called, that we've titled, You Are Not Alone. I want to say welcome to all of you, everybody that's online, everybody that's in Buffalo. Can I tell you, you are the champions to this morning, whether you are here, you're online, whether you're in Buffalo. Um, God is doing amazing things, and it's in this season that we're in right now is when our light as the church needs to begin to shine. That's what we're going to talk about um, this month is that we're not alone. But I've realized something, uh, just obviously being in this culture and being a part of things that are happening in the world that are around us is, though we may title a message, you are not alone. How many of you know that the majority of people in the world today and for the last eight or nine months that has not been their reality. In fact, when you talk to people, the almost overwhelming response of people feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling distant. I mean, it's been a crazy few months, you know, people feeling emotionally disoriented, people feeling that they have been pulled outside of the normal rhythms of their life. People living in all this craziness, feeling uncertain. We've had social distancing where maybe the last time you got a hug was close to a year ago and you don't shake hands anymore. And, you know, we are, thank God, we are one of the churches that are back meeting, but there's a number of churches. And some of you watching online right now, you're watching because your local church still isn't meeting in different parts of the world, feeling lost, feeling empty. You Maybe you're walking around the grocery stores and you could tell there's just this unspoken tension in the air. The, the tension of, am I supposed to shake your hand or not shake your hand or what am I supposed to do? The events have been canceled. You know, the grocery stores and malls are still trying to catch back up. You know, for some of you parents, your kids who normally were in school aren't in school. And it started out being a really good thing. And then it quickly turned and you're wondering, can I trade my kid for a couple rolls of toilet paper or something? <laughs> you know, the stock market has been crazy turbulent. Some people in this room have lost significant amount of money because of what's happened in the economy. We've watched businesses and churches close. People across the board have experienced some serious economic concerns. Many of you online in this room have gone through some pretty tough stuff in the last few months. Some of you have experienced sickness. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you have bills that you haven't been able to pay and maybe still can't. Maybe your marriage, because of how much time you were spending together, maybe <laughs> caused more conflict than connection. Maybe you've fallen back into addictions that you've had before. Can I say we've had a crazy couple of months? And so sometimes for me to stand up here and say, you are not alone, preaches so good but it honestly just doesn't feel real. I want to talk a little bit this morning about what do we do when we feel anxious, alone, and afraid? What do we do when we know we're not supposed to be experiencing anxiety or fear, but we can't help but feel those things? What do we do? And for 
many of us seeking the Lord for help, for guidance, for wisdom. How do we actually step into a real place where we honestly know, I am not alone? Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing presence in our life. That wherever we are and whatever we're feeling, we know there's a promise that you've given us, and that promise is that we are not alone. That you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that you will always be with us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody says? Amen. Amen. So, you know, um, I've definitely spent a lot of time online over the last few months. Uh, I don't know if you would identify that as well. Uh, haven't really had much to do, and so I'm very up on everything that's happening in every country of the world as I try to fill my time. I, I feel like I'm a doctor and also a politician. I also am almost a practicing lawyer because of everything that I have done and studied and learned. And, and really, this has been a general reality for uh, the whole world. In fact, I was reading an article online just the other day, and the spike of people and, uh, who have uh, got degrees because of online learning, it's like there's like a job crisis right now because so many people have done so much learning over the last few months, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. That's just a fun fact. I was reading a little while ago, this wasn't that recently, it was probably in the midst of this, and I saw an online conversation that was happening. One person I knew and other people I didn't know. And, uh, you know, it was a single mom, and the single mom was kind of, you know, writing and just sort of looking for support online, talking about, you know, I lost my job, and I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. I feel like things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to all this. And, and, and then I noticed, because this person is a Christian, and you know, because of that, there was lots of other Christian people, some I knew, some I didn't know, and there was kind of this general uh, truth that was typed all throughout the comment sections, and it sounded a little bit like this. Maybe some of you were in this thread, and you responded this way, and it generally sounded like this. Don't worry, everything's going to be okay, just trust in the Lord, And I can remember reading through this section of comments and watching this single mom respond as she knows the truth, knows what her reality is supposed to be. But I watched as she said, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to trust. I want to trust in God, but I just don't know how. I knew how to trust God when everything was good and stable. I knew how to trust God when I had a paycheck that was coming in at the end of every week, but now that that's gone, I don't know how to trust. You know, I've realized something in life is it's really easy to tell someone else <laughs> how to trust God, isn't it? But man, isn't it so hard when you're the one receiving this precious advice to trust in God? 
right? It's like a surgery. You know, you know the difference between a minor surgery and a major surgery? A minor surgery is a surgery that somebody else has. A major surgery is a surgery that you have had, right? Whenever you're relating to someone else who has, you're like, oh, it's no big deal. And then you have like surgery to remove a hangnail. And you're like, oh God, <laughs> right? Isn't that the truth? It's so easy when we're trying to relate to someone else, but often difficult when it's ourselves. And so many of us have felt this. We felt depressed. We felt financially stressed. Our marriage maybe has struggled. Maybe your kids have just been crazy little rebels and you found yourself casting devils out of them daily. Maybe you experience sickness. Maybe some of you, because of what's happening in the stock market, lost a large portion of your retirement fund. Maybe you were a part of some downsizing that happened in your industry and you don't know how you're going to find another job. Maybe you're finding yourself like the majority of people, so afraid of the future because it feels like everywhere you turn, all you see is uncertainty. But I've realized something, that anytime life is painful, anytime I feel anxious, anytime I feel afraid, anytime I feel alone, I do something. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret of what I do. It's, it's actually not that big. I feel like I built that up too much now. <laughs> yeah, tell us the secret, right? What's the secret? Come back next week and I'll tell you. <laughs> I go through and I like to read the book of Psalms. And uh, the reason why I like to go through and read the book of Psalms is Psalms is, um, essentially it's, you know, oftentimes we can read through the Old Testament and feel like the book was written in a particular period of time. And so we look at the book and we think it's the lifespan of a person. But the way the Old Testament was collected was some of these books had been written for the entirety of the Old Testament period. And, and for example, the book of Psalms is, you know, not quite as old as that, but it went on for generations where people, what they would do as scholars is that they would collect these different poems and songs of worship, and they made them into a collection, and that collection is called the book of Psalms. That's why oftentimes people think that David, King David, wrote the entirety of the book of Psalms, when in fact he didn't. He wrote some of them, a very small portion of them, but there was psalmists and worshipers and poets and writers. One of the things that is fairly congruent through the entirety of the book is that a lot of the songs and a lot of the poems talk about this amazing God. And as somebody who lives life just like you guys do, when I'm feeling really good, it's really easy for me to write messages about how really good God is. But the book of Psalms is actually very interesting because the majority, not all, but the majority of these Psalms were written during seasons where the author was in a sense of crisis. Like some of the most beautiful poems or Psalms that King David wrote he wrote while he was on the run. He wrote while he was being hunted. He wrote while he was being chased. He wrote while he was in the cave of, there was a cave called the cave of Adullam. And they, it was said that this cave was so dark that you couldn't even see the hand that you had put in front of your face. And some of the most beautiful Psalms came out of the most difficult seasons. 
I feel like you missed that, because that was, that was. Some of the greatest psalms came out of the most difficult of seasons. Can I tell you something? Some of you in this room right now have the greatest psalms on the inside of you because they're birthed out of the most difficult of seasons. So this is what I do. I, you know, I, I don't frequent the Old Testament too often. <laughs> um, I'm a New Testament guy. Um, love Jesus. Love everything that Jesus did for us. But I tell you, when I need to understand the nature of God, the Old Testament is a beautiful picture that has been painted for thousands of years to help us understand who God is. And, and I've realized something is that oftentimes the reason why we feel alone, the reason why we find it difficult to trust God is simply because, and please no offense by this, because I struggle just as much as you struggle Often struggle is birthed out of a lack of understanding who God is. And I often find myself wanting to answer this question, God, how do I trust you more? David writes in Psalm chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, he says this, and, and let me just, I'm going to show you this, and what we're going to go through is we're going to go through a number of scriptures where the psalmists give attributes of who God is. I think that sometime, well, we'll get into that. David says it like this in Psalm 9, 9, and 10, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. Come on, isn't this what we're trying to do? I want to know your name. I don't want to just know, yeah, you're God. You're some guy out there. No, no, I want to know your name. I want to know about you because I know the more I know about you, the deeper my trust is in you. He says this, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. He says this, those who know your name trust you. And this makes sense, because you would never trust someone that you don't know. Especially in a time of crisis, you are not seeking out someone who you don't know in order to place your blind trust in. I've realized that some people don't necessarily know many things about God, and there's no condemnation to that. We all start there. And I was probably about 12 years old when I realized that Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. Right? I, I, I thought it was, you know, Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ, right? I thought that that was their names. And, and, and I realized when I was 12 that it wasn't as I embarrassingly rose my hand to give the answer in Sunday school. But here's the question. What do you call God? What do you call God? How many of you know the writers of Psalms? called him things. Jesus called him things, but 
what they called him doesn't necessarily matter for you. What do you call God? Now, why does this matter? It seems kind of trivial. But I'm going to suggest that what we call someone tells us a lot about the relationship that that person has with someone else. It reveals the depth of the relationship. It reveals the level of intimacy that is inside of that relationship. Like, like my best friend is here, my wife, Danielle, sitting over there. Love you, babe. And that's why you could clap for her. She's wonderful. She's deserving of claps. So I call Danielle lots of things. I call her honey. You know, I call her sweetie. You know, we, even Lola now calls her babe, right? That's a new thing. I call her my wife. Uh, and then I call her other things that no one else in this room is allowed to call her. In fact, there's some things I call her that I can't say in this room. Now, why does this matter? Because what you call someone often reveals the depth of your relationship. Now, for example, people call me a lot of different things. If I get a phone call and they ask for Mr. Alexander McDonald, I immediately hang up the phone because I know this person is a telemarketer. No one calls me Mr. Alexander McDonald. Some people call me Pastor Alex, you know, and that's, you know, because maybe you go to church here. Maybe for those of you that are online, you've followed us for a little while. And, you know, at least you know what I do as a profession, you know. Some of you in here may call me Alex, right? And calling me Alex would show that we have a deeper sense of relationship that's you know, beyond what I do or beyond this format, we're friends outside of this. There's some people that call me Al. Now, Al is reserved for only a select few because I hate being called Al. Please don't call me Al thinking it's funny. Then my Uncle Carl is in the room and he likes to take it one step further. He calls me Big Al which is worse. But how many of you know that shows the depth of our intimacy and our relationship? There's one person, not in here, in here, but not in here. She calls me daddy, right? And this is evidence of the type of intimacy and relationship. It's because of the stories and the care and the love that she receives from me. So what we call someone else often reveals a lot about what we know about that particular person. And I would like to submit that what we call God often speaks a lot to the, the relationship that we have with him, right? Like, like, do we actually know him? You know, I hear this a lot because I'm a pastor and I'm not apologetic about it, and so I tell people I'm a pastor and Often people who don't go to church and know that I'm a pastor, they start to refer to God like the big guy, you know, the big guy in the sky, you know, those things. And, you know, I realize that those people really don't know God all that well. You know, then we see Jesus and, and Jesus, you know, we, we see him when he writes, he calls him our father. And, and we think that, you know, Jesus is this, like, stout English dude who's like father, right? But if you go into the Aramaic, you realize that the word that he was calling him was Abba, 
which is better translated as daddy, right? That's why a lot of the religious people had such a difficulty with Jesus was because he addressed God, the, the God, the big guy in the sky, the way the Pharisees knew him, and he addressed God with such an intimate relationship. But we realize that oftentimes what the writers of scriptures do, and especially in the book of Psalms, which is why we're here today, is they talk about God and they talk about the attributes of God. In essence, I believe what they're doing is as they're going through a season of struggle, they meet God in a particular way. Like next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, right? How many of you know that he's the comforter? He's not the comfortable. How many of you know there's a difference between comfort and comfortable? When I'm comfortable, I'm laying in my bed with my wife with the window just propped open enough so there's a nice breeze. When I want to know Holy Spirit as the comforter, I need comfort because I'm going through a season of difficulty. I didn't expect an amen there, so don't worry. So what the writers have done is, is they've gone through a difficult season of time. They've met God, experienced God in a particular way. And their result of it is now they are giving us an English word for an attribute that they experienced as they walked through a crisis. Okay? So we're going to show you some of those. And I call them the URs. You read them in the book of Psalms a lot, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive list, but they'll say, God, you are. Psalm says it like this. David writes a prophetic psalm in Psalm 22, verse 19. And he says this, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. You know, this is. Often I find, especially in a season like we're in right now, I feel like this would be a great attribute for us to know about God. I think oftentimes when we go through seasons of difficulty and challenge, we can often do one of two things. Beat ourselves because we aren't strong enough, or try to put on a brave face and pretend that we're strong, but on the inside we know that we aren't strong enough. And and I love what Paul says in the New Testament. He says, as he's talking about this, this attribute or this concept of God, as he says, when you are weak, when you are hurting, when you're broken, it says this, that God's strength. Okay, this is something we have to know about God. Oftentimes, I like to think that God's strength is made perfect when I prove to God that I am just so strong and it's my strength that displays to the world the strength of God. I know you want it to be that too. But this is not what Paul says. Paul says when you're weak, when you're hurting, when you're broken, this, this moment is when God's strength is made perfect. Can I tell you something that I've realized, and especially this year, because one day I'm going to give my testimony of this year, and it's been a crazy year. But I've realized something that every challenge that we go through, every difficult situation, every crisis, every moment of trouble or trial, every temptation is simply an opportunity in our life for God's strength to be on display. Can I tell you, that's what makes us different as the church. What makes me different as the church isn't that I always got it together. It's that I take my weakness, my brokenness, and I take it to God, and I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do anymore, but I know your strength is made perfect 
Not when everything is going right. Not when everything is going good. God's strength is on display when there is absolutely nothing left that you can do. Paul says it. It's in this moment that God's strength is made perfect. I've realized that every struggle, every difficulty is an opportunity for me to experience God's strength. An opportunity for me to experience God's presence. An opportunity for me to experience God's peace. For me to realize that it's true that I'm not actually alone. We realize this. Who is God? God, you are my strength. You know, it reminds me of a time, this was years ago, when I was late teens, early 20s, I had a workout partner. And uh, we worked out a lot. Uncle Carl was my initial workout partner. Thanks for that. Um, it was not my Uncle Carl, the story, because it's going to get really funny, and I don't want you to judge him. Um, so what we were doing is we were working out. This was probably when I was like 21 or 22. Um, and we were, I was doing chest, and I was doing bench press, and it was at the end of the workout. And we were doing chest. Was, you know, we had 225, which is like two 45-pound plates on each side. And we were doing like four sets of 10 or 12. And then my workout partner had this brilliant idea, and they were like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do all of our sets, and then we're going to strip the weight off, and we're going to just bench press the bar, and we're going to do it like as many times as possible, okay? Now, if you ever see someone who's doing this in a gym, they look like, I'm not going to say it because some of you can only bench press the bar, and so I'm not going to say what they look like, but to see like big, right, 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 to see like big dudes, you know, like yoked bros, right, which is what my partner was like, not me, uh, you look at them when they're bench pressing the bar and you think these guys are funny. Now, at the end of doing a full chest workout, bench pressing the bar, and we had this lofty goal of getting it to do 50 reps. And, you know, so you're doing it and you get to 10 and it's no big deal. You get to 20, you know, and you start to feel it. By the time that you get to 25, you literally feel like you want to cut your pecs off because they're just so intensely on fire. And at this moment, when I was at about the 25 to 35 rep, there was an attractive female that walked in front of the bench. And you know, my workout partner, he's like, come on, man, you got this, you got this, Alex. And then, God bless him, we were 21 or 22, he stopped focusing on me and started focusing on the pretty lady in the tight leggings as he's doing them. Now at about rep number 35, I just like put my hands off the bar and he's still going, you know, yeah, Alex, you got this, you got this, right? And finally, after like six or seven reps, I'm like laughing because the God is, but this is what God is like. That sometimes you gotta just like take your hands off the bar and say, I'm gonna stop trying to figure this out. God, you are my strength. David also says it like this in Psalms 31, verse 5. Don't judge me, I'm way better now than I used to be. And I picked better workout partners than before. <laughs> Psalm 31, verse 5 says this I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Come on, just say that to yourself. You are a faithful God. God, can I tell you something? People will let you down. That's it. I'm out. I'll see ya. That's it. 
People will let you down. Situations will let you down. Circumstances will let you down. The economy at times is going to let you down. The COVID is going to let you down. The news, if you still watch it, will let you down. For those of you that are Americans, the election, one way or another, is probably going to let you down. Oftentimes, we can find ourselves in places where we feel as though we've let ourselves down. But can I tell you something, and I love it how Paul says it in the New Testament. He says it like this. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, even when I doubt and I fall and I trip up and I do that thing that I know that I'm not supposed to do and I get myself into a mess and I forget to wear a mask and then I get COVID, even when I'm not faithful, God is faithful. Can I tell you something I've learned through my life? In the millions of times that I've let God down, it has absolutely nothing to do with me. That God says it in his promise to Abraham that he couldn't find anybody to swear by. And so what God does is he swears by himself. Even when I'm faithless, God is faithful. Can I tell you something? No matter how many times I've let God down, no matter how many times I've given God reasons to not show up on my behalf, one of the things that I've realized is his faithfulness is always faithful. He'll never let you down. He might not do what you want him to do when you want him to do it, but he'll never let you down. God, you are my strength. God, you are always faithful. David again wrote this in Psalm 65, verse 5. He said, you faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds. O God, our Savior, you are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. God, who are you? Who is God? God is our hope. Can I give you a little piece of advice? Don't put your hope in people. Don't put your hope in countries. Don't put your hope in a government or a leader or a system or a medicine. Can I tell you something? Those things will always let you down. My hope is in an all-powerful, all-knowing, always present, always faithful, always strong God. What does this mean? That means when the systems in the world fail and fall apart, I don't lose my hope because my hope was never in those things. My hope is in God. Isaiah says it like this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Come on, do you need renewed strength? Do you feel like this whole thing has got you weary, got you worn down? That it's got you feeling depressed or frustrated? Isaiah says it like this, put your hope in God. Because those who hope in God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. Can I tell you, those who know God's name intimately, personally, these are the ones who trust him.
God, who are you? God, you are my strength. God, you are always faithful. God, you are my hope. Psalm 75 verse 1 says this. this a psalmist wrote this. It says, we thank you, O God. We give thanks because you are near. You're near. People everywhere tell of your wonderful deeds. James says it like this, that every time we draw near to God, God draws near to us. Can I tell you something? In this room online, in Buffalo, God is not some distant, far-off, angry, vengeful God. He is a loving, caring, compassionate, empathetic, forgiving Father who never leaves. This is the God that we know and we love. The God who is always with us. God, I want to know your name. David wrote this in Psalm 86, verse 5. Oh Lord, you are... Come on. Oh Lord, you are... Oh Lord, you are... You know what I realized? David here could have wrote, you know, you are good. Good would have been enough, but, but he had experienced such goodness from God that his heart wouldn't let him just write good. He said, Lord, you are so good. In the midst of my difficulty, you're not just good. You are so good. You know, there's a thing that churches used to say, and it would go like this. God is good. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. Now, sometimes we would hear that and feel like, oh, that's silly. But can I tell you something? It would be a good idea to look in the mirror every day and echo that to yourself. <laughs> right? Maybe like waking up in the middle of the night and instead of worrying about it, pull out your hand mirror that you don't have, that you should have, and remind yourself, God, you are so good all the time. And all the time, you are so good. Why, can I tell you something? He is good. The very crux of his nature hangs on his goodness. He's not just good. He's so good. He's not just ready to forgive, the scripture says. He's so ready. Come on, he's so ready. That's a problem that I have as a parent. I'm so ready to forgive my daughter when I should be disciplining her. I'm so ready to give her whatever she needs. I'm so ready to give her those sugary candies. I'm so ready, why? Because I love her and the scripture says that if me, an evil human being, love my child to that extent, how intense is the love of God that burns for us? He's so good, he's so ready. Scripture says that he's not just loving, he's so loving. That it's not just what he does, it's who he is. It's his very nature. He is love. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that you can do to make you love him, more, him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. This is my, my last you are psalm, and also the last you are psalm in the book of Psalms. Psalms 118, 28, and 29 says this. You are my God. Come on, that's good. He's not just God. He's not just a God or some God or the God. 
He says, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Verse 29 says this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You are my God. You know, I grew up knowing about God. My parents knew him. My pastors knew him. But I, I didn't know him. You know, through high school and then into college, I heard a preacher say at one time that he majored on sinning. And I felt like, I too have that degree, sir. <laughs> I prefer to say that I was building my testimony. But I found myself in season after season feeling anxious, alone, afraid, until the moment that I met God. Not the God of my parents, not the God of pastors and evangelists. I met my God. I met my God. The God that touched me when I didn't deserve to be touched, who spoke to me and healed me and comforted me when I didn't deserve it. He wasn't someone else's God. He was my God. The question is, is he your God? Because it's one thing for him to be my God. It's one thing for him to be David's God or Jesus's God or Paul's God. But the scripture says, those who know your name trust in you. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. I want to know you. So can I tell you, when you feel anxious, alone, afraid, maybe you're like me and your preferred emotion is angry. You feel abandoned. You feel disheartened. You feel scared. Call on my God. He's my God. The scripture says, his eye is on me. Psalm 118 goes on to say that, where could I go that you aren't already there? It says, could I go to the highest mountaintop? And David says, you're already there. He says, can I go to the lowest valley? And David said, I went there. And you were already there. Can I tell you, if you're angry at God, yell at him. <laughs> I've realized that God can handle our honesty. God made us with emotions because he wanted us to have them. I'm convinced that God would rather you yell at him than walk away from him. If you're hurting, tell him. If you're feeling broken, cry out to him. If you're afraid, if you feel lonely, if you feel anxious, the scripture says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you.
How do we trust God? We know his name. We know his name. When I'm weak, he is my strength. When the world feels unstable, God is always faithful. When I'm anxious, when I'm unsure, when I'm afraid, God is my hope. When I feel isolated, when I'm hurting, when I feel alone, God is near. When I mess up, when I fail, when I fall short, oh God, you're so good. You're so ready to forgive. You're so full of unfailing love. You're my God. So I want to take a minute and pray for you this morning. We could do this with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just let yourself feel the music and just let go to whatever it is that you're feeling on the inside of you. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Sometimes he makes the most unlikely people laugh or cry or... But there's healing in this room because, man, we've all gone through it. And there's no point pretending anymore that we haven't. It's time to open ourselves up and let God begin to heal us with his nature. So I'd like to pray for you. If you'd say, this is me, you know, I've gone through it. I've had a hard year. I've gone through difficulties. And some of the stuff, maybe I've made it through and other stuff I haven't. But honestly, I feel alone. I feel stuck. I feel isolated. And you'd say, man, this message was for me. It was everything I needed to hear, everything I needed to know. I'm going to ask you really quickly on the count of three to slip up your hands because I believe there's something that happens on the inside of us when we respond outside. Ready, if that's you, one, two, three, lift up your hands. I see your hands all over the room, all over the room. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that as we stand here and sit here today, Lord, like Paul said, we want to know you. God, I'm asking as these truths, these words, these realities have been spoken, let them change the very fabric of our belief systems. We choose to loose from ourselves any of the anxiety, any of the fear, any of the worry, any of the torment, any of the trauma. We loose from ourselves any of the insecurities, any of the instabilities in our life. And we bind to ourselves these truths that says, you are our strength. You are our shield. You are our God. You are our deliverer. You are our savior. You are so good. You are our God in our time of need. You are our source and supply. You are our savior. You are our Lord. You are our father. You are our friend. You are our brother. You are everything that we would need. That's our truth. That's our reality. And we thank you for that. I'm going to invite you before we close. If you're here, you're online, you're in this room, you're in Buffalo, and you found yourself in here and you don't know how, but you say, this is me. I need to know this God. I need to have this experience, but I don't know how to do it. The Bible tells us that if we'd confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, that that said we would be saved. We would come into an intimate relationship with this God. So I'm going to ask us as a church family in Buffalo, there's a church family, if you're, if you're online, just repeat these words after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. 
and I need a savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, the savior of the world, sent from heaven to die for my sins. I receive your sacrifice and I declare that you are my savior and my Lord, that I am now saved, redeemed, forgiven. Jesus, lead me into an understanding of who the Father is. In Jesus' name, could somebody please say, Amen.